Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to episode 1571-1571. Thanks for joining me today as we talk about life's single largest expense, taxes, 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 taxes. And we also talk about how income property is the most tax favored asset class in America, and the most historically proven asset class in the entire world. So we will dive into that in just a moment, we've got two great guests who have authored two excellent tax books. They specialize in real estate taxation, so we will get into that in just a few minutes. But I must tell you that Globestreet.com is reporting, yes, they are reporting as of today, October 13th, they are reporting that housing demand shifts to low density markets. The shift in demand has also created new opportunities for housing development and housing investment. Well, if you've been listening to this show or attending any of our now virtual events, then you would know that we predicted this eight months ago. <laughs> Do you hear me gloating here, folks? I am officially gloating. Yes, gloating. Hashtag gloating again. When you deserve to gloat a little bit, you're going to gloat. I mean, folks, this, this was rocket science in February. It is no longer rocket science. It's like obvious. <laughs> but, but hey, you know, there you go. So what do you know? They're saying that housing demand is shifting to low density markets. <gasps> Imagine that. Okay, uh, so there you go. Uh, what else do we have in the news? Well, I guess the most important thing we have in the news is our pandemic investing one day little mini conference coming up on Saturday. And you're joining us for that because you went to pandemicinvesting.com. You got your free mini book on pandemic investing and you signed up for the extremely awesome event we're going to have on Saturday. And you're going to stick around afterwards for happy hour, right? Yes. Say yes. Yes. You went to pandemicinvesting.com or you're going right now and you're getting your free mini book and you're also joining us for Saturday's event. It's going to be a great little conference. I am going through and you know what's you know what's the toughest challenge for this conference as I get ready for it? It is cutting out information cutting information out, 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 because there is so much to cover. And I'm going to turn this into a, uh, well, not this, but I'm going to turn this concept into 
a long course. I think it'll be like a six week or an eight week course or something like that, because uh, there's just way too much to cover. But we're going to cover a lot of it on Saturday, and it's going to be great. So join us. If you want to see how the rich are acting during the pandemic, if you want to know what your best strategies are, of course, we're we're going to talk about some of the things and just expand upon them uh, that we cover on the show. Because, you know, there, there's always a deep dive you can take into everything. There's the cursory look at it, which is interesting enough for sure. But then there's the deep dive where you really peel back the onion and you look at uh, the nuances of any situation. And a lot of times that's where the money's made, right? And all those and all those nuances in the deep dive really going to be interesting on Saturday. So join us for that. And, you know, this won't be as big as Meet the Masters. So you'll have more interaction time. You know, we'll be on Zoom so you can interact freely. Uh, it's not a one-to-many format. It's a workshop format. So we'll have a good amount of time for Q&A and just should be a great event on Saturday. And a lot of you have been asking about the time. So I just want to announce that again. We will be starting at 8 a.m., Pacific time, 11 a.m. Eastern time, and we'll go to about 5 p.m. for the formal part, but then I'm going to stick around for happy hour. Uh, we did that last time during our Meet the Masters virtual event, and, you know, hey, it was my first virtual happy hour, so that was kind of fun, and, uh, you know, everyone should grab a drink and, you know, a glass of wine, a beer, a martini, whatever you like. You know, maybe some whiskey on the rocks. I don't know. And uh, join us for a, a happy hour. And, you know, we'll kind of just loosen up and shoot the breeze and uh, do Q&A and uh, talk about uh, income property, the most historically proven asset class in the entire world. And we're doing this on Saturday. So it's really easy. Also, uh, we had a few people ask, well, what if I can't attend the entire event on Saturday? Will you make the replay available? Yes, we will. So if you buy a ticket, you'll have access to the non-live version as well. And, you know, that won't be forever. It'll be for a limited time because we'll probably turn that into a, a product and, you know, offer that as a uh, an audio product or a video product afterwards, uh, maybe as kind of a course. But, uh, but yeah, if you buy a ticket, you can watch the replay, okay? So be sure to go to pandemicinvesting.com and get registered for that right away. And let's get to our guest today as we talk about taxation and how to save money on the single largest expense in all of our lives. Let's give less to the government. You got to put the beast on a diet. The government is a beast. And really, the best thing you can do for the beast is to put it on a little bit of a diet right? So that it uh, it stays at its proper size. Well, <laughs> actually, for it to be at its proper size, you would have to starve it for many years because it's gotten way too big. But lest we get off on a tangent, let's not do that. Okay, let's go to our guest. Here we are. It's my pleasure to welcome Amanda Hahn and Matthew McFarland. They are the author of two great books on tax strategy. One, the most recent, is the book on advanced tax strategies. And we're going to talk about several things that apply to real estate investors today. And Amanda and Matthew, welcome. How are you? 
Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, we're so excited to be here. It's great to have you. So I really enjoyed your book, first of all. And, you know, there are just not enough competent people out there in the tax world that really kind of focus on on real estate, especially. That's why we're excited to have you today. And, And there's so much we could talk about, as we discussed before we started here. You know, we could talk about self-directed IRAs. We could talk about a zillion things. But we do have an election coming up and some pretty significant changes are in the wings. If, if Biden wins, if he doesn't win, I think we'll just see, uh, you know, more of what we saw um, a couple years ago. My biggest fear is the 1031 exchange would go away. A lot of people are talking about that one. Uh, Biden wants to get rid of it. He's, he's stated that. Do you have any thoughts on that and, and its impact? Yeah, it, that's an interesting one because, you know, actually under the last tax reform, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, there was a big change that was already made to the 1031 exchange where, right. you know, used to be eligible for other assets, but but now it's only specific to real estate. So um, I guess I, I think it's not hard to imagine it just going away altogether. And that would be unfortunate because real estate has done so well in the past couple of years. And, you know, in our office, I don't know, how many 1031 exchanges do we see on a daily basis now? We joke with our staff. He's like, hey, we've got another one, you know, so. Yeah. Um, so many and yeah, people exiting California, yeah. going to other states or exiting one state to another. We see that all the time. Yeah, it's really something. I think that would be very bad for the economy if the 1031 exchange went away. I think it would discourage investment. It would also make the market more stagnant because people that would otherwise sell and create income for so many people, accountants, of course, but 1031 exchange accommodation companies, the lawyers, the tax experts the you know, when when people buy a a property, they typically improve the property because they have different ideas for it. So all those contractors, all those appliance companies, etc, it would really change. Let's hope that that doesn't go away. Why don't you go ahead and share your screen and tell us some of the other stuff you're thinking about? Yeah, so we wanted to put up a slide first of what the current tax rates look like, just so we you know get an idea. And you, know, you can see the current tax rate and you know, at the highest level. For those of you who aren't watching on video, if you're listening only, try and elaborate on the slides so someone with audio only oh, well. could understand them. But they will be on our YouTube channel. So yeah, the first thing we kind of just touch on real quick is just looking at we've got a picture of tax rates at a glance right now. So we've kind of put some colors to this or. You can kind of see if you're a single person, you can look at your income range on the left or you're married, you can look on the right. But you can obviously see the, the highest tax rate right now is 37% for the IRS. And we've got the capital gains rates broken out. But what's interesting about this is that, you know, as you were kind of talking about, you know, maybe potential changes, you know, I think Biden wants to, Biden's plan involves increasing the highest rate back up to 39.6%, which is what it was two or three years ago before the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. So yeah, it'd be interesting to kind of see what comes of the election and what comes of any potential tax changes. Yeah, and also part of the you know potential proposed change would be capital gains. You know, right now our capital gains the highest rate is twenty percent. So there are talks of that even increasing back to ordinary income tax rate, which could be as high as thirty nine point six. And this is just on the federal side. <laughs> and I know Jason, you used yeah. to be from California, right? Yes. Fortunately, I'm not. But if California gets the way gets their way with that back taxing people for 10 years, they yeah. would get the last year I was there because I left in 2011. So I could yeah, still, I, I, I I could read still that. be liable for tax. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's I, I can't imagine that's constitutional, but that'd be a long discussion. So let's move on. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so we have you know that's what's unknown. We, we don't really know what the future of tax rates and deductions are. What's going to go away? But what we do know now, as of today, is that there are still a lot of great tax benefits for real estate investors, specifically for this year. And so those are going to be the main things that we touch on. Yeah, and it should come as no surprise, but obviously people with you know the same amount of income are can and do pay very different level of taxes and. You know, that's going to be, that was the case three or four years ago. That's still the case. It might, it's probably going to be the case a year from now, depending on what, what happens. But, you know, just because you make 200 grand and your neighbor makes 200 grand doesn't mean you, you pay the same amount of taxes, obviously. So I think a lot of people know that, but I think do, some people do forget that actually. So, and, and that's one reason you need a good tax preparer. You need to have your own knowledge about taxes as well so yeah. that you can uh, talk intelligently with them. Okay, good. One of the reasons that we see real estate investors continue to overpay in their taxes, even though they already are investing in real estate, is that, you know, they're not viewing themselves as a business owner when it comes to taxes. So, you know, everybody knows like, hey, as a business owner, you get to write off all sorts of things. And what we have on the slide now is home office deduction is one of them, right? People know business owners can write those off. But a lot of times real estate investors don't think of themselves as business owners. So they maybe think, oh, well, I can't take that deduction maybe because I don't have an LLC or I don't have a corporation or I'm not a real estate professional. And all those things are actually incorrect. So as a real estate investor, you are a business owner in the eyes of the IRS. So for the vast majority of deductions that you hear people talk about, you know, as an investor, you are able to take of it, whether or not you have a legal entity, whether or not you're claiming real estate professional, these are all still legitimate businesses. So let's touch on home office first, because I think that one, most if not all investors we know have an eligible home office. Yeah, I think this is also one that gets unfortunately overlooked a lot just because people either don't know enough about it or maybe even don't even think it adds up to be enough of a deduction. But you know, obviously based on our experience of preparing hundreds of returns every year, this can add up very quickly to two, three thousand dollar deductions. So it can provide a lot of savings. So I mean, essentially, the home office is if somebody's got a dedicated office space at home that they're working from, a, you know, a dedicated space that is not shared as a kitchen or a dining room table or something, then they would be eligible to take a write off or a portion of the things that they don't otherwise usually get the write off. Because we all know, as in, you know, real real estate owners, investors, you you know, your primary residence, you know, you're writing off. Your mortgage interest usually your property taxes usually, but it's the other things that now you can take a percentage deduction on your utilities, your insurance, uh, HOA fees, uh, repairs and maintenance, cleaning, things like that. I don't know if you've heard this before, Jason, but we always hear clients tell us like, oh, my CPA said I can't take this because it's a huge audit flag and it means I will be audited. And we've actually seen no truth to that at all. You know, we have so many clients that claim home office. Um, really haven't had one that was audited for home office deduction purposes. And nowadays, everybody's working from home, especially right. with yeah. the current I, I, I think in the current environment, the, the home office will not be very scrutinized at all going forward. So good. Uh, let's move on from the home office. Yeah, I think another area that we kind of help our clients or look at them focusing on is um, what we call income shifting. But really, it's a way to incorporate your kids or other family members into your business? Because we get the question a lot, like, well, how do I deduct my kids? Well, it's probably not phrasing the question the right way, right? It's like, how can I, how can I pay my kids and take a tax deduction is kind of the better way to look at it, right? You can do that by incorporating them in your real estate business. So it can be 
having them help you with, you know, advertising for your rentals or putting flyers out or doing internet research or whatever it is that they can do to help you in your business. It's a way that you can start paying them to take a tax deduction for it, save money as a family, because we all know that you're, you're obviously giving the money to your kids anyway already, right? So now it's looking for ways to get a tax deduction for doing that. Yeah, I think the older the kids are, the more expensive they get. You know, when they're younger, you get them little toys. They get older, they got cars, they got tuition. So it's a really great way because if you just bought your child a car, generally it's not deductible. But if you instead pay them to help out in your real estate business, then that's a deduction. Then your kids can take that money and pay for their own car or, you know, pay for their college and all those good things. So. And you're also hopefully teaching them some worthy life skills, right? So that's good. Right. right. I mean, I, I like to think in this picture that this kid is, is showing the dad how to use Zoom. You know, you, at first I'm like, <laughs> hey, maybe the dad's teaching the kid something, but I, I don't think yeah. so. Yeah. Hey, you're a tech consultant. All right. <laughs> what else? <laughs> Let's make sure we touch on real estate professional. I know that's a big one for a lot of our listeners. So for, uh, I, and I know you talk a lot about depreciation or you have in the past, you know, with respect to that being a great benefit for real estate investors. And, you know, one of the things I think a lot of people are confused on is for depreciation. One of the things we love about depreciation is that it's a paper loss, but it's not just on the down payment that you make to a property. It's actually based on the purchase price. So we like to look at it as, hey, you're getting a write-off on the bank's money today, right? So if you buy a $100,000 property, it's the same depreciation whether you paid $100,000 cash or it was 100% leveraged. And so, you know, when we have clients that have high income, we say, okay, well, how do you wipe out the income with a lot of write-offs? You know, if I have $100,000 to invest, if that could turn into a $300,000 property or $400,000 property, the tax deduction could be three, four times what it would otherwise be if you're just doing the, you know, all cash deal. Uh, Amanda, I'm so glad you said that because the depreciation, number one, it's in my eyes, it's the holy grail of tax benefits. Uh, I mean, it's a non-cash write-off. Like you said, it was a paper loss. I call it a phantom deduction, whatever you want to call it. But you also get the leveraged advantage of that, meaning that if you you put 20% down on the property, you get to multiply that depreciation deduction times five because it's not only the money you put into the deal, but it's the 80% the bank put into the deal. So you get to depreciate all of that. And again, as long as you can 1031 exchange it and never recapture that depreciation, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah. I think one, one way we like to look at it too is, you know, it's, it creates tax efficient cash flow, right? Like the goal is obviously get positive cash flow. And then, but if you can use depreciation and, you know, home office income shifting, all these other strategies, the idea is to get enough deductions to bring that at, le- at the very least down to zero. So you got tax free money in your pocket, right? So but, you know, obviously with depreciation, kind of the standard way of doing it, you know, a lot of people know, some people know, residential properties, they write it off evenly over 27 and a half years, non-residential, you write it off for 39 years. But there are ways to kind of what we call, you know, almost supercharge it, right? Like, and that's using a cost segregation study. So a cost segregation study is just, you're going into the property and looking at how do we break out the components of the, the building so that I can take faster depreciation or shorter depreciation lives. So I can, you know, write it off over five years, seven years, 15 years. Over the life of the property, you're getting the same amount of depreciation. It's just the goal is how do we take more of it sooner than later? Yeah. 
you get to accelerate that depreciation because different components of the property depreciate on different schedules. So the appliances are on a faster schedule than 27.5 years, for example. Now, yeah. the reason you, you do the cost segregation study is because you're segregating out these faster depreciation depreciating items, and then you can write them off more quickly. But the problem has typically been that this is economical on a larger property. It's been commonly used in large commercial properties. I've used it on a couple of apartment complexes that I've owned. And, you know, I remember the last time we did one, we paid $28,000 to have a cost segregation or cost seg study. And it was worth paying $28,000 because the tax benefit was much bigger than that. But on a single family home, you know, I have done some shows, some episodes where I've had people on that charge between $500 and $1,000 to do a cost seg study on a single family home. And with that, you can save more money than you spend on that study. And that's great. And you say you know some others. Again, this is a pretty small world of people providing these cost seg studies on single family homes, at least economically. So please send those over to me and I'll put them in the show notes and uh, everybody can look at them on the show notes for this episode, okay? If we get them in time. So uh, that that's really great. And I think it's a, mis- a common misconception. We have clients who, you know, own five, six or a dozen single family rental properties and they're under this assumption that, hey, those are only for multifamily, large multifamily doesn't give me a benefit. At the end of the day, like in, with anything else in business and investing, it's a cost benefit analysis. Right. If if you have five single family homes, each costing, you know, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars, that building basis might be much larger than one apartment that you own in Ohio. Right. So it's all based on, you know, what the purchase price of the property is. So we put together just an example what CostSeg can do, especially in this year where we have bonus depreciation, meaning not only can you accelerate some of these assets into shorter lives, but you can actually claim an immediate deduction for a big part of the purchase price of that building. So, you know, so for our example, we said, okay, let's say you purchased a, a rental property for $300,000 as a $60,000 down payment, right? Again, we don't care what the down payment is, but we bought it for 300,000. And let's say the building value is 250 with cost segregation. Meaning the land both, is 50,000. Right. And right. you know, that's okay. not a California property, right? Right, right, obviously. <laughs> But uh, but we don't recommend investing in California properties anyway because they're too darn expensive. So um, so you've basically got a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar improvement value or building value, three hundred thousand total price, meaning that by deduction the land is fifty thousand dollars, and you put sixty thousand down. And you're saying the first year with a cost segregation study, you could potentially get up to $75,000 in deductions for depreciation, right? Correct. So your so, your write-off is more than your down payment even. In right. Be- now, so it depends on your tax bracket now. Yep. So here in this example that we're looking at on the slide, if you're seeing the video on our YouTube channel, it's a 37% tax bracket meaning you would get a first-year tax savings of $28,000 when you put $60,000 down. So you get like half your down payment back, which is pretty awesome. But what if you live in, and no offense, because I used to live there too most of my life, the Socialist Republic of California, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you and you pay 
say, 13.3% in state taxes, do you get an additional deduction for the state tax component or no? No. Unfortunately, okay. California is one of those few states that does not allow large rental losses. California does not recognize real estate professional. It also, does, it also doesn't recognize bonus depreciation. So that's one oh. of the big, big issues. So. So that's the reason in our scenario, you see, we didn't include the state. But of course, if you live in another state, maybe that's more reasonable, right? The right. tax savings could be federal as well as state taxes. So okay. it's huge when you kind of add, you know, layers upon layers of different strategies right. uh, to see what the potential tax benefit is going to be. Okay, very good. All right, keep going. Yeah, and I think you kind of alluded to this earlier. I think, you know, we think, you know, based on our experience, cost segregation and real estate profession, when you can combine them together, that's that really is the holy grail of tax planning for real estate investors. And, you know, real estate profession, what we're talking about is, you know, a lot of people may not know, but when, you know, if you have, if you're generating losses from your rental properties, and when we say losses, we're talking about paper losses, right? We're hopefully you're not losing money on your, on your cash flow. But if you have losses from your rentals, the goal would obviously be able to use those losses to offset your other income. Now the IRS says you can do that to some extent if your income is below 150 grand, but if your income is above 150, then what do we do, right? Well, that's where a real being a real estate professional can come and play because if you or your spouse, if you're married, if one of you can qualify as a real estate professional for tax purposes, then any losses you generate in the current year from your rentals can be used to offset all of your other sources of income without limitation. So if you've okay. got W2, you've got you know interest dividends, business so income from other businesses. So let me just explain that a little bit more for people. So basically, if you are designated by the IRS as a real estate professional, now don't confuse that with being a realtor or selling real estate for a living. I think, you know, it just basically means you're a professional investor. And there are some hurdles to jump through to get that. Not everybody will be eligible. But normally, the passive loss, mostly depreciation, we'll just call it depreciation, tax benefit phases out when your adjusted gross income is above $150,000 per year. Correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, okay? You guys are the experts, I'm not. But this gives you a way, if you're a real estate professional, if you have that classification like I do, then you can take unlimited deductions regardless of your income. You can make $10 million a year and take just an unlimited amount of deductions on these passive losses or mostly depreciation. So did I say that correctly? Yep, exactly. Okay, okay good. So the question is, how does one qualify to become a real estate professional? And I know, look, at uh, we've done episodes on this before with other CPAs and, and so forth. And this can be a bit complex, okay? So, you know, we don't have an hour to discuss it right now because there's ifs, ands, or buts. But just basically tell us how that works, if you would, in yeah. a nutshell. Well, I think you hit on the nail, right? People are confused with being licensed. So having a license or not really has no impact whatsoever. It's strictly an hours test. And so the key criteria are that this individual, again, whether you or your spouse, have to spend at least 750 hours in, your, in real estate in general, okay? So at least 750 hours, that's the first hurdle. Now, the other requirement is that you have to spend more time in real estate than your other income activity. So if you have a job, you have an escort, right? Then we look at how many hours are you spending in those activities collectively, and you have to spend more time in real estate than that. So if you have you know, another part-time job you spend a thousand hours on, well, you need a thousand and one hours in real estate to then be a real estate professional. Uh, Amanda, by the way, I just want to make sure I got this. Did you say 150 hours 
or did was that a did you misspeak or was that a, or did it change? Seven fifty. Yeah, seven hundred fifty. Yes, that's the number I know. So yeah. seven hundred and fifty hours. But the kicker is that at least the way it used to be, unless it's changed, five hundred of those seven hundred and fifty hours have to be considered active participation. And yeah, yeah. The, the term is the term is material participation. Material participation. Yeah, essentially, you need to be kind of boots on the ground and you know involved for lack of a better term, in the day-to-day operations of your own rental properties. Right. You get to that 500-hour mark. And then, you know, if there's other things you're doing for your kind of your real estate business, you can use that to get to your 750. Like with your 750, you can consider education to be part of that, right? If you go to a conference or attend our conference on Zoom, right? Uh, you know, you can call that part of your 750, but it won't help for your 500. Exactly. Your 500 five, material participation. Yeah, the way we look at it is that 500 hours really needs to spend on properties you own, not mm-hmm. like, you know, education and those kinds of things are just more kind of overhead related things. Sure. But yes, of that, and it's the same test sometimes people are confused and say oh i need 750 and 500 no, no. 500 is part of of the, the 750 so it's not not that hard but what about income like what if someone is you know a doctor and uh say they um are not working that many hours and they're not married okay so they don't have a spouse that can qualify it's just got to be them but say they make three hundred thousand dollars a year as a doctor but they don't work that many hours. So they can still get 750, you know, in and, and we're teaching a lot of our clients how to self manage their properties, uh, so that they can materially participate in them. You know, people can self manage their properties long distance, it's actually quite easy. Uh, we, we teach people how to do that all the time. Can they qualify? With that $300,000 doctor income, even though it's not that many hours? There's no income. You know, when you look at real estate professional status, again, it's strictly a times and activities test. They don't really, I've not seen them to take into consideration how much other income you're doing. Now, having said that, you know, for this position, their time has to be reasonable, right? So they made $300,000. In reality, how many hours did they spend? Uh, And that would be the number of hours that is compared against real estate professional status. Okay. You know, we have a lot of clients that are now involved in short-term rentals. I don't know which your clients probably have as well. So there's a little loophole in there that a lot of people might not know with respect to using rental losses from short-term properties to offset other types of income. Yeah, and we have clients that maybe they can't qualify as a real estate professional just based on their, their you know, the hours or whatever. But if they, they happen to have a couple of short-term rentals, if they can meet the short-term rentals are, you know, kind of treated differently in the tax world. And when we say short-term rental, we mean, you know, when you look back over the year, if the average customer use is seven days or less, then you've got a short-term rental property. So, you know, Airbnb, one of those type of things where people are booking for four or five days at a time, that type of thing. But if they can materially participate in their short-term rentals and they've got losses on those rentals, those short-term rentals, they can use those losses to offset their other income without having to qualify as a real estate professional. And we've got a, a lot of clients kind of going that route just because they like that marketplace. They like the Airbnb model, if you will, for you know, lack of a better term. But so I, that, that, that's an opportunity. I think they can. They sure, can, sure. Can and and we we do a little bit in the short term rental world. And I I gotta just give a caution. A lot has changed in that world due to COVID. Oh, yeah. So yeah. be careful. Okay, make sure you listen to our podcast for a lot more on that. But go go ahead. Okay, anything else on real estate professional? That you want to share? You know, I think the key to being real estate professional and claiming it correctly is to document, right? Document your yeah. time. 
I always recommend doing it throughout the year because normally when people get audited, it's not going to be right away. You know, after you file a tax return, it's going to be two or even three years after the return is filed. And, you know, if anyone's like me, I, I can hardly remember what I had for breakfast two, three days ago. Right? It's going to be difficult two, three years from now to figure out what did I do on this particular date for right. a real estate professional. So uh, documenting time is sort of you know going to be an insurance policy to claiming yep. it correctly and legitimately. Good point. Okay, good. Yeah. So, I, you know, like we talked about, you know, the, the current tax law, you know, highly favors real estate investors. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the election and whether that changes or not, obviously. But, it, you know, we, we do tell people all the time, it is important to work with their advisor throughout the year, not just, you know, right before April 15th. Because, you know, if you come to us on April 1st with how do I save taxes from last year, your your options are severely limited compared to if you're talking to them in October or November, for that matter, you know? Yeah. Tax laws can change any time, so you got to take advantage of it while you can. <laughs> yeah, good. Any questions I didn't ask you or anything else you'd like to share? And then let's wrap it up. I think, you know, being the time, uh, you know, obviously this is changing times, you know, in the country, but also just from a tax perspective too. But one thing is always stands true, you know, Matt mentioned proactive tax planning. But, you know, um, before the end of the year is really a great time to do year end planning because this is the, you know, this is the last kind of the last ditch effort was, okay, how, how are we doing on real estate professional time? You know, do we need to buy more rentals before the end of the year so we can get more depreciation? Should we do cost seg? So, you know, before the holidays, try to allocate some time, meet with your tax advisor and get some action steps in place so that, you know, you're sitting pretty by next April. Good stuff. Give out your website. Uh, our website is www.keystonecpa.com. That's K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-C-P-A.com. All right, Amanda and Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, hartmanmedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Music.